When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Well, the transfer portal closes today for undergrads. And right at the deadline, we have one more jumping into the portal. This was as of, uh, gosh, this was 30 minutes ago. After much thought, prayer, and talking with my family, I've reached a big decision about my future career. First and foremost, I would like to thank our Twitter friends and all the staff at the city of Manhattan. It's been a short but rewarding ride. And I'm very thankful to set the record for most discussed signage in Aggieville. I am forever grateful for the opportunity to become an Aggieville sign and look forward to my new journey. There's more to it, but I'll skip to the last line here. With that being said, and after careful consideration, I have decided to enter my name into the transfer portal with many years of eligibility remaining. DM me for film. Please respect my decision. Love, welcome to. Thank you, City of Manhattan, for having a laugh about this. After getting bullied cyberly by those that just couldn't get over a sign. Yes, it was a little bit weird, but it wasn't the biggest deal in the world. But welcome to is now have, has been removed from the Aggieville sign. Welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, just us two today because Trey is on his way currently to go watch Billy Idol in concert. Oh. I forgot about that concert. I remember him telling me that he had potentially a couple of extra tickets. If I would have remembered, I probably would have been interested in going, but I don't think this will be the last uh, tour for Billy. Uh, my dad loves the Billy Idol song, Monet, Monet, because, I mean, I remember growing up, you couldn't go to a wedding without hearing that song. That got everybody to the dance floor. I'm sure it did for a couple decades. Yes, it did. And little foul-mouthed in occasions, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. You had to throw out a few curse words right in between the Monet, Monet, uh, uh, uh. I don't remember what people used to say. I Some reason I don't think that Tommy James and the Shondells had to worry about it that much no, when they not. did the original. No, probably not. Uh, we're only on for an hour today. Hey, shout to the Royals. For the first time this season, and they get it done on a squeeze, they win a home series. And it just took a one-hour rain delay and nearly going to extra innings to get it done. But, hey, they got it done in front of 20,000 children uh, at Kauffman Stadium because it was like back to – or whatever. It was like school day at the K or whatever they call it. Uh, so congratulations to the Kansas City Royals who have now won, what, 11? Is it 11 or 12 games now? I believe 12. Oh, 
off the top of my head. Good for them. Let's talk about winning baseball because right off the bat, please be joined by Brian Smoller from K-State. As you know, you hear him on the ESPN Plus broadcast for Big 12 now on ESPN Plus for multiple sports but right now, of course, it is baseball season. Brian, hey, thank you for your time. I was going to rattle off your resume from here I came in, but I didn't remember exactly what all you did because we didn't overlap. What did you do? What was uh, all your jobs here at K-Man? Oh, boy. Um, well, I did a lot of stuff. I did – when I first started, I used to do the old uh, swap shop on Saturday morning. Uh, that was right when I was out of school. And I don't remember the name of it, but it was – Saturday mornings, I'd get up early, and before I got into sports, I was assigned to be the news person. We didn't have a news person at the time, so I did news, and I did the swap shop, which was basically just a garage sale uh, on the phone on Saturday mornings, and it was like three hours long, and just people calling in, advertising they were selling their stuff, and I would do that every every weekend, and then uh, eventually had to cover city commission meetings for a long time when Walmart was moving in. That was a big deal because they were going to go where Target is currently mm-hmm. and nobody wanted it there. And then uh, eventually got into sports. And uh, The short version is I served as the assistant sports director and then eventual sports director for nine years there at K-Man Radio. So I have your old job now. That's pretty neat. I was I was probably assistant sports director for Kurtz. Gosh, this was probably yeah. for five years now. And then he finally yep. left, and I got to take over. How about that? Now, you, you were also yep. a host on the game, right, for a while? I was. I, I did the morning show and did the game. Me too. And was doing games at night. And it's uh, as Troy can attest, it's, um, that's a grind. That is a grind. Uh, and after a, a long time, I'm not a morning person at all. My wife can attest to that. I, I am not at all a morning person. And after countless air checks where I was told that I was not being cheerful enough in the morning, <laughs> I decided that it was probably time uh, for me to hang it up. Usually the complaints are our hosts are being too political, if anything. I, I thought I had invented the, the split shift, but, well, actually, you might have. Were you here all day when you are doing the morning show and the game? No, no. no I would go. I would leave for a couple of hours, uh, crash, and then come back. You, you uh, have to. Was, you have to, you mentally. Have to. It yeah. Was just, yeah, it was just... It was burnout. Speaking of leaving and coming back, you mentioned the kids today at the K. So the rain delay, were the 20,000 kids just there from the start and they were just running around the ballpark for a couple of hours during the rain delay or they not come? I'm curious as to how this all worked out. Yeah, they were. They had, uh, let's just say that there was extra stuff on the video board to entertain. Will they put Hello Kitty up there or something? Or? I, I'm thinking maybe a SpongeBob episode. Yes, yeah, so uh, they they did some things the, to uh, keep them entertained anyway. Wow, wow! Can only imagine. Well, anyway, that can't be full. Yeah, and, and I know at the K they they had like a bunch of pregame stuff for them. But yeah, you yeah, I think they mentioned like over 80 schools had kids at the K today, which I just can imagine all the school buses in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, yeah, let's jump into the Batcats because they're having a heck of a season. 31 and 18, second place, tied for second with Oklahoma State in the Big 12. Kind of just want to go back to like kind of the beginning of the year and then to here now and think back at the beginning of the year, like your expectations of this team. And I think for everybody, I think it's fair to say this team has far expected our expectations. But for you, that obviously cl- covers this team very closely. How far have your expectations been exceeded? Yeah, well, you know, 
we were cautiously optimistic that they could they could, would be better than last year. Uh, I think the the large unknown, of course, was pitching. It always is, but um, when you're there, there were some knowns in the lineup that were coming back. You didn't know how Roberto Pena would pan out, but you know, resume track record, South Florida, Florida, you figured it would translate at some point. And with the names like Goodwin, Culpepper, Rugeley, they had pretty established themselves at the end of last season. Brady Day, a solid player, Pellet. You, you were assuming that they would do well enough on offense based on the track record of Austin Waits to be competitive. The question was, with a new pitching coach and with relatively a lot of new names on the mound, would they be able to coalesce into something that could be competitive in the Big 12? And so I would say that the pitching staff, armed with a new philosophy, a totally different philosophy of pitching to contact and not walking people, has completely surpassed any wildest imagination uh, and expectation. And that's a credit to Rudy Darrell, the pitching coach for K-State. I think it's a credit to Pete Hughes, who saw that and knew that with Pete, uh, Rudy Darrell. And then also for the guys themselves for buying in and then taking that next step. And Tyson Neighbors, of course, is that personified. But Owen Borama, Herman Fajardo, they've all taken steps forward and have become... They're now third in the league in ERA. They're still in the top three in the league in strikeouts, and they are among the best in the country at not issuing walks. Pretty good combo. I tell you what, I was telling Troy earlier this week, I feel like when you have Ty Rule or Tyson Neighbors coming into the game, and if you know, sometimes even both of them will come in in relief, and it kind of reminds me like the HDH days of the Royals when they came in, it felt like, all right, you, you feel like there's a – excellent chance that this game is in hand and they're going to finish the and they're going to close the door but I mean you're right there were so many questions because I mean Griffin Hassel who was probably going to be a weekend guy regularly gets hurt beginning of the year and he's out for the whole season and then you only Hermon Fajardo is your weekend guy from last year you know Sunday it's been a lot of Colin Rothermel lately but and the Friday guy though Owen Borman I'd love to get your thoughts on his season because he jumped from Many years of D3, and now all of a sudden he's D1 and playing at the Power 5 level. His growth in your eyes, how big has that been? Huge. Now, the coaches will tell you that they, they knew his stuff would play at this level. Right? Coach loves to say that. Well, his stuff, you know, beat even in basketball or football. Chris Kleiman talks about it, right? Football is football. And so the same mantra was being pushed out there by Pete Hughes and Rudy Darrow, which was baseball is baseball, and if you have good enough stuff, it's going to work at this level. But I, you know, on on Borma, you were still like a, in the back of your mind, you're like, well, he's still going to have to go out and do it. He's still going to have to go out and do it and get Big Twelve guys out, and then year in and year out, the Big Twelve offensively is putting guys in the pros relatively quick. So it was the second weekend of the season down in Round Rock, Texas. K-State matched up against the number one team in the country, LSU. And the LSU is still one or two, depending on which poll you look at. And Owen struggled out of the gate. Borama did in like the first inning. But then after that, he kind of settled in. And from the second inning on till about the fifth or sixth, he was just mowing down these guys. And I remember after the game talking to Pete Hughes about it, and he said, Borma came into the dugout and said something like, all right, I can do this. Like I, 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 he now bought in as well. He knew that he could do this. And 
it seemed like that was the turning point for him and has just gotten better. He's not a guy that's going to blow you away. He's not a, a soft-throwing lefty either. He just has very long arms, and so his release point, it kind of his arm just kind of speeds up at the last second, and it makes it difficult for people to pick up his fastball and his uh, his release point. So it's just kind of a it's odd enough delivery to kind of throw everybody off. He's got good enough stuff to knock you over and strike you out. He's among the top ten in the league in strikeouts. Um, he's been very solid. I fully expect him tomorrow against Warren Watts Brown. It was the preseason Big 12 pitcher of the year for Oklahoma State. I fully expect Owen Borman to give them a heck of a game. It'll be a great matchup. Well, it's been kind of a big conversation we've had on the show this past couple of weeks as we talk more and more about baseball and how you know more and more now they're in the conversation for a Big 12 championship potentially and certainly in the field now for the NCAA tournament. Just the growth and the difference that last year to this year has been and you've brought up a number of things, but is there one that sticks out in your mind the most that is like a like the key difference from last year to this year and why they're so good? One, well, it's a buzzword, right? Coaches like to use the word culture, but just being around the team, and it's kind of hard to tell, does winning help the culture be better or did the culture help spur on the winning? It's hard to know which one, but this is a team that you, you hang around them for a little while. They are, they are a pretty tight bunch, and they have accountability. There is a good mesh with the coaches. I, I will tell you, this is one of the most advanced coaching staffs when it comes to scouting that I've ever been around, uh, ever. Uh, they, they are just, it is, it's unbelievable how thorough they are in their scouting of opponents. And I think that information plus the talent combination with these guys has allowed them to be successful on the road. Playing a lot of those early games on the road has helped them be the fewer down there, Mitch, uh, to begin the year. Yes, Stephen at Boston isn't great. They're a 500 team, but they won all four. And that hasn't been done in a long time. And I think that helped build confidence for this group. And they've just kept it rolling. They don't seem to get too high, too low. They don't seem to be bothered too much by a bad game. They just bounce right back and, uh, that's the mark of a good team. They just keep finding ways to win. Do you have a favorite player this year? Because you know, there's a number of guys as we you know talk about the big difference and improvement from this year to last year to this year, and exceeding expectations. I mean, a number of these players were playing last year and have improved. A handful of these guys, like like Brady Day, Cash Rugely, Rafael Pelletier, is like next man up. Rugely was in the infield last year. Now he's in the outfield. Has one guy kind of become your favorite this season uh, when it comes to those in the field or at the plate? Yeah, I don't know about favorite, but each one has their own personality, and it, it's uh, good stories. You know, a Culpepper has really come into his own. Is kind of you know, we were quick to anoint him last year as a future superstar, and here we are in year two, and he's quickly becoming that. You know, it's just. It's cool to see that recognition, and he wears it so well. He's such a great person, uh, you know, humble and hardworking. He doesn't let it get to his head. I know Nick Goodwin's kind of the steady, quiet guy that just does his work. And then, as you mentioned, guys like Brady Day and Brendan Jones who put in a ton of work to get to this point. Rafael Pelletier, and then it's all paid off for him. Um, you know, I think of Brendan Jones out in Los Angeles. It was really struggling, and in the first inning, he slides into second base, and he collides with the second baseman for UC Irvine, and it, it looked like it broke his nose. Uh, and everybody's running up the field. He's got blood on his face, and 
you know, the trainers are coming out. And, and even Blaine Burris, the trainer for K-State, said as he comes out there, he's expecting the same thing because it just looked like his head hit the guy's knee. You're expecting that's the case. No, when he gets out there, his lip is split from his nose down to all the way down, and it's completely open. You can see his teeth through his lip. And I don't mean that to say that it gross you out, but any one of us, if that had happened to us, we'd be done, right? We'd shut it down. We would be out of the game. I'm not coming back. Brendan Jones goes to the dugout, gets his lip super glued, goes back out there at second base, scores a run, and proceeds to get three more hits the rest of the game, and then spends about five hours after the game in the emergency room at Los Angeles to wait on getting stitches. And I mean, that, it just that's the type of stuff that you're just like, wow, that's so cool. Like, what a cool story. Like, I don't even, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's emblematic of what these guys are all about. and uh, Stuff like that gets you excited to be around the team. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it was just a couple of series ago. I mean, Brendan Jones, to me, feels like the guy. He's the definition of never count him out. Like, if he is struggling and he's due for a hit, he'll come through and get you the biggest hit of the game. Like, what was it, two weekends ago? It's uh, Cats are down and they need some runs, and he hit, uh, ends up with a bases-clearing triple. I, I love – like, he was the big spark kind of late in this season to give K-State that push towards the uh, the postseason. Yeah, that triple came on his 14th at bat of the Texas Tech series. He was 0 for 13 with seven strikeouts before that at bat. I mean, at that point, you're thinking this guy, he's probably just wanting to get off the field and be done. But if there's a guy that's shown that he's as tough as, as they come, it's him, and to be able to come up in that moment, as you said, provide the game when he hit in a series they had to win in order to have any consideration for the postseason. Uh, pretty big stuff there. And it's not just him. I mean, it's all up and down the order. Our guys have been coming up big and clutch all year long. And uh, Tyson Neighbors' story on the mound uh, is just as good as anybody. And uh, a maturation of a young man that didn't even get – he didn't even get any recruiting attention from anybody in the state of Texas. Uh, no one. Because his stuff was good, but he, his maturity was a big question. And – he struggled with it last year, and to his credit, and the coach Darrow and the rest of the staff, the guy has come has now become. Uh, I, he's the best closer in America. I don't know of any. I've done. We did a research project this week, trying to go through all the other guys. Uh, in the and there are some good ones. Now there are some really good ones, but I would take Tyson Neighbors in a heartbeat over anybody else. We're speaking with Brian Smoller as we talk back cats here on the game. Got a couple more for you. And uh, this next question actually was asked by Derek Young on yesterday's show from K-State Online as we kind of got into the bracketology conversation. And, I mean, that's really not a conversation we've had too often in the last decade because K-State just really hasn't had too many strong opportunities for that kind of postseason play, get to the uh, you know NCAA tournament, get to a regional since 2013. But right now, K-State, three-seed according to D1 Baseball, heading to Nashville. So they're obviously the foot's in the door with this hard work they've had the last really month or so. And, I mean, you know, Borma's been there, K-State getting off to great series victories to start weekends. They're 9-3 and three on Fridays. But I guess the question is, do you have an educated guess? I know a lot of things will determine, you know, how things work out, but... Like if K-State were to get a sweep, is there an opportunity for a two-seed steal? Or is there an opportunity that K-State does not end up in the NCAA tournament? Do you have an educated guess on that? Sure. So in in baseball, it's kind of like the way football long ago used to work and basketball used to 
work here before the NET ranking or the net ranking. They go largely off of RPI and largely because the committee that makes the selection committee for the field of 64 for baseball is not necessarily comprised by people that know baseball. It's a little bit different than it is in basketball. A lot of those people that are on the committee are sitting ADs that use it as a resume builder. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's one flawed aspect of that sport. And so you, in that room, when you get to the, for example, Kirby Hokett is the uh, representative of the Big 12 that is on that ballot now, or on that committee. He has to step out of the room, just like Gene Taylor did uh, when it comes time to talk about the Big 12. He can campaign a little bit, but for the most part, he really can't discuss Big 12 teams. The problem is that everybody else in that room, not all of them are, are as baseball savvy and really into the ins and outs of who's good and who's not, and they may rely on tradition more than anything else. And so a team like Texas Tech or an Oklahoma that have had some history in the tournament, even as recent as last year, they're going to get the nod or the assumption of getting in over at K-State. That's just the way it is right now. So when Pete Hughes talks about being a national program, that's kind of what he's intimating is that K-State's got to kick that door down and become one that's, oh, yeah, K-State, they belong in the tournament every year. They belong in the conversation. That's a long way of saying that K-State's RPI at the moment has them in the field, but I would describe it as they're on the right side of the bubble they're not necessarily safe on the bubble. They would have to still find a way to win at least one this weekend at Oklahoma State, who was 21st in the RPI, and then for sure they're going to have to win their home series against TCU. Anything above 3-3 three and three is gravy. 3-3, uh, three and three, they're probably still hanging in the field, but they would do themselves a big favor if they could go 4-2 and two over these last six or even make a run down in Arlington. But... Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it lays out right now. Their RPI, look at Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got a worse record. K-State swept them. But Oklahoma's RPI is 47. They probably don't need to do much to be able to get into the field conversation, which is tough to swallow. Also, same for Texas Tech, who who has won, like, I think they've played, like, total of six games away from Lubbock, Texas. But yet, they could get in the tournament because there are guys that are not the same as K-State, and they've won a ton of games, and they have tradition. So it's not necessarily a fair process, and it's hard to judge at this point, but I would point to last week K-State was a three-seed going to the number five overall seed in the bracketology. That was Arkansas. This week they're the, a three-seed again, but now they're going to the number three overall seed. So if you're just doing math, they're kind of moving down the three-seed slot line. Those four-seeds are like 16-seeds or 15-seeds in basketball. They're somewhat reserved for the lower a group of five or smaller conference champions. So once you start getting down in those low three seeds going to play at a regional where it's a number one or a number two overall seed, that means you're on the very last few teams in. All right. Well, I really appreciate that breakdown. I know you'd be the person to ask about that, so I really appreciate that. You, you've a couple times brought up Pete Hughes. And you, were, you brought up you know the first trip I went on Nacogdoches, Texas, to play Stephen F. Austin. Have you ever been around a coach that's been better when it comes to pep talks, like in the hotel, <laughs> like in the uh, like the breakfast area? Uh, he's good. He's really good at that stuff. Um, no, I mean yes, been around co- a lot of coaches that have had great knacks for that. But he he's really good. Listen, he he's very good about getting 
guys that he knows are going to respond to what he's going to deliver. He is not a huge yellow screamer, right? He's not a guy that's going to cuss you down. Uh, he's a great positive person, but he has that northeastern sort of sense of humor. It's kind of a quick wit, dry sense of humor, pretty sarcastic. He just has a way with the guys of making them loose and making them feel good about themselves and they're confident and he can push the right buttons, no doubt about it. Uh, and he fits well here at K-State because even though you know he's from Boston and he still has that East Coast accent, he's got that chip on the shoulder uh, and plays the no-respect card really well. And this is a season where it's kind of all magically hit at the same time where no doubt K-State is fighting for respect at this moment. They don't feel like they're getting uh, at least the national recognition that they believe they deserve. And now it's just playing right into uh, his wheelhouse as far as messaging to the team, and they're feeding off of it. So, um, for when they're when they're all locked in and they're all feeling good, it's pretty tough to to see them stumble and stub their toe. I mean, it's baseball, right? You can't win them all. We've already seen it. They had the midweek stumble with Wichita State. It's going to happen. They're going to lose a game or two. They can't win them all, but um, they're starting to put things together. They're playing as well as defensively as I've ever seen the K State team play. They're pitching great. They're hitting the last two games. Really showed a good measured approach, not swinging for the fences. Um, I, I, I feel like they're in a great spot. I, if you were to ask me today if they're going to make the tournament, I'm going to say yes. I think they are. I think they're going to make it. You brought up the fielding. That's been the big difference for me. I mean, you're talking about a team that has 38 errors on the year, and the lowest ever is 45. That was back in the 60s when they played 29 games in a year their fielding has been phenomenal this year as coach uh, pete hughes called it omaha numbers uh at his press conference after the games on after the game on sunday uh smaller I, I've, I've kept you much longer than i was expecting to so we'll, we'll wrap it up with this last question and i know you're not on the road trip this weekend to oklahoma uh state in stillwater but any keys to this three game series and what to know about oklahoma state well oklahoma state like k-state like texas tech is a team that loves to be at home. They are a much different team at home than they are on the road. They are, that's unlike K-State. K-State this year has been pretty good on the road. Texas Tech and Oklahoma State are two teams that just absolutely mash the baseball when they're at home. They hit some 50 points higher. They hit a ton of home runs when they're at home. They feed off the home crowd. They have struggled away from home, and that's been their downfall. So in that respect, K-State did not catch a break going there. The other key to this weekend is, much like it has been here, it's going to be rainy all weekend long. So that could result in some game times being a little bit weird. You hope it doesn't result in games starting and stopping, because I think starting pitching-wise, K-State has an advantage over Oklahoma State. Bullpen is, we're back into the bullpen for K-State is far none the best with Tyson Neighbors. But the other bullpen arms, K-State's been able to kind of massage it with just about three or four names all year all year long. That's where you get into those games. If you start dealing with rain delays and who can start an inning and who doesn't, K-State doesn't want to get too far down the Rolodex on their arms. They want to stay with their same four or five guys used on a weekend. Oklahoma State has an advantage there. So it's going to start with can the Wildcats do what they do, not bend to the pressure, Get on base, steal bases, cause havoc, score some early runs, let Owen Borman do his thing on a Friday night, get the Tyson neighbors, win that Friday game to me is the key. You win that, you set the whole tone for the next two weeks because everybody's talking about you right now. 
if you can go out and put up a good win here on the Friday game, I think it settles everybody into, all right, here we go, we can do this. It has been a special year for K-State sports. Let's hope it keeps continuing to be special with the Badcats getting it done in Stillwater. Ryan Smoller, greatly appreciate your time. Sorry for keeping you for so long, and we'll see you at Toynton Family Stadium next weekend. Yeah, no problem. And this reminder, everybody, you got to get out to Toynton next weekend. It's such a fun time, as you said, Mitch. It could be a special season. Uh, some of these guys, again, Tyson Neighbors, Kalen Culpepper, they'll be back next year, but you're only going to get a couple of chances to see them. You're gonna, these guys are pros. I'm just telling you. Those guys are going to be major leaguers before too long, and they're here in Manhattan. It'll be a great weekend to go see them next weekend. Yeah, no doubt about it. So let's sell out those tickets. South Toynton Family Stadium for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, especially with K-State having an opportunity to uh, be in contention, be in the conversation, potentially win a Big 12 championship. Thank you so much, Brian. All right, guys. It's Brian Smoller from K-State. Catch him on the uh, broadcast, Big 12 Now on ESPN+. Plus for K-State baseball, home games, and not just baseball, multiple sports at K-State. We'll take a timeout. More of the game coming up next. Really appreciate Brian Smoller for the uh, the long interview. That probably went 10 minutes, 15 minutes longer than I was expecting, but, uh, man, his stuff was so good I had to keep asking the questions. He, I knew he'd be the one to know about the bracketology and uh, the ins and outs of K-State baseball. Nobody's more on top of it than Brian Smoller, so thank you so much. To Brian once again for his time. I brought up the uh, the pep talks from Pete Hughes during the interview because you know Pete Hughes and culture that came up a couple of times in the discussion, and it reminded me of the Stephen F. Austin series when I was with the team in Nacogdoches, Texas. We were staying in a hotel, and I can't remember the name of it, but it might be my favorite hotel of all time. It was by far the best part of Nacogdoches, Texas. The rest of the town is not great. Driving through the town to get to the ballpark, and the ballpark wasn't great at all, but it's also, you know, mid-ranger school, not a whole lot of money dumped into that program, so it wasn't anything spectacular. I could, you know, I, I had to use a uh, an old uh, old ruler to keep the window up in my booth. Uh, you know, these, those, those things happen. It's not, not the newest ballpark, that's for sure. But the anyway. glamour of Division One, as I've joked for years. I mean, this, this hotel had, like, multiple restaurants in it, had a nice gift shop. I mean, it was nothing I'd ever stayed in before. It was so nice. You just have to look up Nacogdoches, Texas Hotel. It'll probably be the first one that pops up. It's, it's really sweet. It's very unique. Uh, Pete Hughes was even talking about it, how awesome the hotel was. Um, but it was during that series, and this is the first series of the season. I mean, it's the first four games of the year. I always go on the first road trip, typically. Um, and um, I can't remember if it was after the first game or the second game. But I know K-State just barely squeaked by Stephen F. Austin in the first game. I want to say it was after the first one. And I, I've been in locker rooms, I mean, growing up, hearing pep talks from coaches because I played sports throughout my childhood. Uh, I didn't play sports in college, but I broadcasted for teams on the road and would hear a lot of pep talks. Mike Dabini, pep talks for soccer for five seasons. And, I mean, he would get a little animated at times, but nothing too over the top. But he was really good at pep talks. But I got to say, Pete Hughes, when he, he delivered a very animated pep talk during the Stephen F. Austin series that woke those guys up. I mean, woke them up. I think the next day they went out and scored like 14 runs. And, um, man, it was a, it was a talk. It was like a five-minute pep talk. And it was right after I think we had just had lunch. And he's like, listen up, gentlemen. And then he goes into his speech. I was like, I don't think I'd ever been so pumped up. And he wasn't talking to me. He was talking to the team. I, I had nothing to do with that conversation. 
It was such a good pep talk, though. I was so fired up. I was ready to play. And I, I, there's no way I can swing a bat anymore. There's no way I'm going to make contact. I might get lucky. But I'm like, suit me up, coach. I'll go shag some balls during warm-ups or something just to help out. Whatever I can do, I'm ready to go. It was so good. I, Pete Hughes is the best pep talker I've ever heard. It, it's, it's so good. Like, every time out, he's so it, – it's just – it's naturally what he's good at is talking to his team and having them ready to go and having them pumped up. That's it, it, it's, I love it when it, uh, K-State, when they get somebody with a camera to like the post-game huddle when the Cats win a game and he's talking to the team and, you know, recently, you know, the message was keep proving them wrong. And I think that was during the Texas Tech series, keep proving them wrong. And, I mean, that was such a huge series and K-State proving them wrong, winning the series taking two of three and Brendan Jones coming up with that bases clearing triple in the late innings and it was Roberto Pena who delivered the two-run homer to put K-State up three to two on that Friday game and you're hearing those conversations with with Pete Hughes I mean mean, that's the guy that delivered the pep talk to get you pumped up to go out there and and go win a game and that's you know in, in baseball sometimes it's just what you need you need somebody to wake you up somebody to get you out of funk and somebody gets your eye on the right path. And, you know, Pete Hughes has, has certainly been that guy this year. He has taken this team and far exceeded. He's far exceeded my expectations this year. Just with what the culture is, with the transfer portal and filling needs. And I, I just thought, you know, I wasn't sure at all about the pitching staff, especially starting pitching. I didn't know what to think about Owen Borma. Hadn't heard too many guys from the D3 level jump up to D1 and be, you know, a Friday guy and be stellar. And, and he's been great this year. You know, the the um, the infield had too many errors last year. But, I mean, look at that turnaround. Now, all of a sudden, from too many and too many errors last year to now they might set the season low for errors all time is a complete turnaround. And then you had a number of guys that are playing in the, in the nine on defense. And there's a number of them that, you know, they would play as substitutes or maybe get to play on a Sunday or a midweek day, they weren't the go-to starters. Now they are. It's next man up for guys like Brady Day and Cash Rugely, uh, Rafael Pelletier, Brendan Jones in center field was not a starter last year and did struggle a little bit last year. So tight, you know, Tyson Neighbors had to really like like Brian Smoller said, really work on some things both on and off the field. I could go on and on about you know how this team has exceeded expectations they have and the season's not done that that's the thing like even like if they were to go get swept at Oklahoma State which I do not expect absolutely do not expect if it was let's say after the series at Round Rocker like when Army and Stonehill came to town. I was like, well, you know, they hadn't played really too many tough teams. Like after losing that game to Omaha, and that that's a game that still sticks out to me when they played at the Mavericks, not at Creighton, but at the Mavericks, at the University of Omaha, and lost that game. Too many errors at first base, and the game just kind of after being up like six to one, and it and it squeaked away from. Them, I was like, man, I hope this just isn't one of those years where these te- this team like will win games they need to win at home but then they don't get it done on the road and another rough road season hasn't been that way at all now they're one win away from setting the program record for wins on the road they started in a way that had you questioning what they were really going to be that they could be competitive with teams as you saw against LSU but that there were issues early on it's on coaching 
they, you know, they've taken to what this staff has taught them, and Rudy Darrow has done a stellar job with the pitching staff to really turn the page, I think, from last year and those concerns. And once this team got to the month of April and into the mid part of April, they really hit a stride. It's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I, you know, I love Pete Hughes. I think the, the coaching staff, though, you know, caught some heat. You know, the Batcats weren't exactly they, – they weren't winning last year. Their 500 team wasn't close postseason play. I think, you know, there's no doubt about it. You know, we, we, we got a contract extension for Chris Kleiman. Jerome Tang's going to get one. I mean, this could be an extension year for Pete Hughes for exceeding these expectations and taking a roster that had a lot of question marks, just uncertainties, at least from the outside of the program, right? I'm sure they knew more than we did, for sure. But also had to, you know, just kind of see how things play out, you know? Just some questions you can't answer until you actually get out on the field, work some things out. And and I'm not to admit, like, Kalen Culpepper, I mean, had to miss six weeks due to a broken bone in his hand, and that's one of the most important players on the team. And they still went out there and won games. So we'll get more into K-State, Oklahoma State tomorrow. We'll be on from 4 to 5.30. Since they're on the road, I'll be with Troy the whole time. And we'll talk back cats. I want to get more into the series. Uh, I think there's going to be more eyeballs on ESPN Plus or watching a stream or just watching the Bad Cats than there have been in a while. Because I don't, there probably hasn't been this much attention. And just like on a show like this, talking about the Bad Cats in probably 10 years. I'm sure it's, you know, like Jordan Wicks. Jordan Wicks has been a storyline going back a couple of years ago. He was a storyline for a couple of years. He was the. He was the talk of the town when it came to K-State baseball or individuals over the years. Now we're talking team. Now we're talking postseason play. And now we're talking potential Big 12 championship. But what stinks about that, control is out of their hands. They need to go win games, obviously, not only to be in the conversation and try to win a Big 12 championship, but also regional. Just go out there and win. But at the same time, Please, West Virginia, or I should say, please, Texas Tech, go take a couple in Morgantown.